0: To uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Oh, man, I am... Extremely privileged, or I feel extremely privileged and honored and grateful to be introducing this week's amazing guest, Miss Sherry Walling. So, or not Miss, Dr. Sherry Walling. So, Sherry is, this conversation was just so deep. Sherry is the brand new author of the book Touching Two Worlds, a guide for finding hope in the landscape of loss, which just released. Last week on Amazon, she is a trauma psychologist, as a therapist, and she has been through the motions holding space for other people as they manage their own grief. But a few years ago, Sherry lost her father to cancer and her brother to suicide within six months of each other and had the unfortunate chance to encounter two different types of mourning up close the slow unfolding of terminal illness and the sudden death by suicide. These lived experiences alongside her own experience of holding space for others has given Sherry a really unique perspective on moving through grief, on being with loss, on different ways to actually lean into the grieving process with presence so that you can actually heal, so that you can actually integrate these difficult emotional experiences at the edges of life into our day-to-day existence. And I really just appreciate Sherry. I mean, she's a relatively new friend of mine. We talk about how we met on the podcast as well, but we talk so much about you know what does it mean to actually integrate difficult experiences the the art of looking for love in those moments of darkness the power of the words i love you allowing as a tool for for presence and integration making an appointment with grief learning how to experience the aliveness on the other side of a difficult emotional experience and so much more i mean Sherry walks the talk. You can feel it in her, in her voice, in her tone of – in her cadence and the way she actually even expresses these concepts, just how, how she's lived through it and how she's embodying this message that she shares in her new book and on this episode. And I can't wait for all of you to get to know Sherry and the brilliance that she brings into this conversation. So enjoy it. Pick up the new book. Touching Two Worlds, a guide for finding hope in the landscape of loss. I learned so much from Sherry on this conversation. I can't wait for all of you to, to learn the same. So if you haven't already, subscribed to us on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcast apps. All that means is that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox so that you can be the first to hear perspectives like the ones you're going to hear today in this conversation if anything that Sherry or I said on this podcast that resonated with you please reach out to us on social media leave a review for the podcast specifically citing the things that really stood out to you your feedback your your mirroring of these concepts means the world to us and yeah i love you guys and i'm grateful that we get to have these diff- we get to have conversations like these on the show i think these are the conversations that matter and give us the strength and hope to be with all of the difficulty when we inevitably experience it in our lives. So anyways, uh, sending you lots of love. And without further ado, here is the amazing, my new friend, Miss Sherry Walling. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? (laughs) Welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. So happy to be here with... My new yet dear friend, like you're not just like a new friend. Like I can feel you, Sherry. You're like a dear friend already. It's you're, you're one of them. You're, you're one right of them souls. I, feel
1: like, I saw you coming from across the room and I was like that person, that human, he's like emanating this beauty. And I'm like, what's up? Let's chat.
0: Let's jam. Sherry Walling, welcome to the show.
1: I love that we were like match made twice right? Someone connected us by email and said, you two should be friends. And then we met in a bar and we're like, a we week should later, be friends. A
0: week later, like I'm literally, for context, everyone listening, literally at an event and, you know, I'd been traveling the last week, so I hadn't really checked my email and I had met Sherry on a Sunday. And then on a Monday morning, I get an email from her because of a connection through a mutual friend and it literally blew my mind. I was like... I kind of we like. were meant to meet. Yeah. It was, it was quite the, is that serendipitous? Is that the right word or synchronous? Yeah, sure. That works. Sure. Both one of them of, work. One I of think. those S words. But I am so excited for this conversation. You've got this like very beautiful energy to you. It's, it's this lived experience of experience of going through a lot of ranges of emotions in life. Like, I can feel that. And then when I heard your story and I heard about the book and started reading up on your own journey into life and grief and love, it actually made a lot of sense. And
1: I like it when the pieces fit together.
0: Well, it was I'd love to maybe start there, even if you want to set the stage, because yeah, I, I shared a little bit about your story in the intro, but. I think it would be really beautiful to just set the stage of like what created the the heart for this book now today in this moment.
1: I do think that what you're seeing in me is a level of comfort and calm in really painful places. And that actually predates this book. <laughs> it's a long story that starts when I was a child but really flourished in my early life as a psychologist because I trained to do trauma work. And so my work was to sit in witness and sit in support and really hold space for people who were finding the courage to face the most painful experiences they'd had in their lives. So I am so grateful that I had that repertoire of knowing what it looks like to put oneself back together because when i faced my own significant losses the loss of my dad and brother in really a very tight timeline i kind of had in the back of my mind all of these stories that let me know that even though i was really in a lot of pain i had this like deep assurance that i would be okay that i would sort of find my way through it because i'd watched so many other people find their way through it.
0: Yeah, it's almost like you've experienced, there's a level of safety in the experience because of what your mind has seen. And it's almost like I, I don't know, for me, at least I found that, you know, death for me was like the scariest encounter because it was especially the first time I experienced death in my life several like it's a few years ago like at least like someone very close to me like my i've had acquaintances pass but for me experiencing the death of a loved one for the first time was an unknown that i did not know how to experience and so it was a curveball it was scary it was raw it was rough it was like unpredictable i Felt like I had to hold space for others, but I didn't know how to hold space for myself. And so there was just this wild smorgasbord of awful and amazing emotional experiences happening all at the same time.
1: It's so much more intense than I think people think it's going to be. I think we have this picture of grief as as like sadness where you're still and quiet And you linger in this sort of sad state for a while until it eases. Mm. And that is not what grief is like. Not for you, not for me, not for like any other human that I've ever interacted with. It is sadness and there is heaviness, but there's also like fury, there's anger, there's passion, there's like fuel, there's joy. It's I think an edge state experience. You know, we don't Encounter a lot, a lot of death in our life. It's not part of our daily reality for the vast majority of us. So, these are these edge state experiences that we have in our lives that like amplify everything inside of us. And it's quite a wild ride that, again, takes most people by surprise.
0: I love the phrase edge state experience. Can you expand on that and give it a little more color? Because I think that even the way you just described it was very enlivening in a way like to hear that. So I'd love to unpack that with you.
1: That is how I describe what felt. It felt like for me when my dad died, I was with him in bed. I was laying right beside him. I had my hand on his arm on his chest and I was right there in the moment. And I had this feeling of like, the sacred, like hush, this is only going to happen a few times that I will be in the very privileged position of walking someone right up to the gate as they pass over into whatever's next. But the only other way or the only other time I've really felt that way is when I gave birth to my children, to my two children, This sense of like, this is only going to happen a few times, like pay attention, be present and I think when we're touching the edges of life, like the birth of a new life and the death of an existing life, we are touching the edges of the human experience, quite literally in our timelines and our start, starting and stopping points. And those moments bring out the depths of our humanness in ways that I think are very, very profound. Yeah. Wow.
0: I'm even extrapolating that to, at least in my life, like I'm not a, a father nor, you know, have I really sat with. I mean, I, I haven't been at the endpoints much, but I feel like I've experienced a lot of relationships ending, or careers ending, or things in life having those endpoints, and they evoked incredible amounts of feeling in my body which now I'm reflecting on. I don't know if I'll ever have experiences to feel those again. Like I remember my first heartbreak. Like
1: yeah.
0: I don't know if I'm ever going to feel another first heartbreak. Like
1: not that way.
0: Not that <laughs> way, right? Like it's like there's a there's an edge state to that those experiences that can only be experienced for what it is then. Yeah, which now I guess in hindsight with the wisdom of hindsight, I feel like You know, I could have been more present inside of those experiences than I chose to be because of those. I mean, there's like a, like, I'll never have that again. And, you know, so I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that my dad's death was a great teacher. But my brother's death was a thing that I just needed to survive. Mm -hmm. I think maybe at some point I will think of it as a teacher. But that kind of loss for me was traumatic and really painful. So I I guess I wouldn't want a listener to be hearing our conversation and think like, oh, I really need to lean into these painful moments in my life so I can learn from them and they can be my teacher and they can be sacred because that may be true, yes. But it also may be true like, just plant your feet on the ground and get through it and survive it. And then worry about the lessons later, <laughs> like worry about your, your retrospective after more time has passed. Cause I do sometimes feel like we, we push for lessons and redemption in our pain that can feel like pressure more than is necessary.
0: Beautifully stated. And I really appreciate the nuance there. Again, this is, coming from someone who hasn't lost a brother, right? So there is a level of, even me, I'm learning in this conversation. Like Mm. there is a level of pain that I just think you'll, it's just painful. And it's a part of that human experience. Like I think I listened in your video. This is one area we're all going to get to and being able to distinguish between. So I guess like, how do you, I guess, develop the wisdom or knowing to know like when you should lean into something as a learning experience versus just something that you get to grieve and experience? Or is that more so a, a question that my mind is just trying to like turn into like, am I just trying to be a productive poly or is that like, you know, like,
1: <laughs> what's my best course of action yeah. <laughs> here? <laughs> I would just say there's the invitation. To stay present to whatever you're in. Yeah. And that's the best you can do. Like, keep your eyes open, keep your breath with you, stay in it. I think the worst thing that people can do in relation to grief or any kind of really difficult experience is to try to go around or under or over, but not to not go in and through. So when you go in and through you're present to whatever it is, to whatever feeling it is, whatever joy it is, whatever weird things happen to you as a byproduct of the experience and you're accepting of them as the moment, even if they don't make sense to you, even if you can't make meaning out of it in that moment, when you stay present to the moment, you're at least believing that at some point you will, or you will have at least gained the experience of having survived it.
0: Yeah. Well there's I think even in that i'm I'm realizing like it doesn't matter if it's like understanding it is a function of the mind like experiencing it is what's actually true so even this desire to understand look for the lesson is is a way of processing it's almost like it's a way of avoiding or a way of not avoiding, but like well, it's a way of
1: segmenting. Yeah. So I would say presence is integrated. It is your mind. It is your heart. It is your body. And that all of those components need to be, and it is your relationships, like part of it if you're really present. When we move too much into our heads and we try to make be a meaning-making machine, it's not that that's bad or wrong, but it it becomes segmented or we're a little bit disintegrated. Or when we feel so much in our feeling center that we're not a thinking being, we're not using language or we're not relational, then again, we're, we're segmenting one part of ourselves and that's kind of leading our way through whatever experience we're in. So I think the challenge of presence is integration is like, I can think, I can feel, I can be in a body, I can interact with others. And I want to have all of those capacities online as I walk through my life, whatever experience it is.
0: So how does I mean that? That's a level of mastery that I think. I mean that's that to me is mastery: being able to integrate and have the mind, the heart, and the body, and your relation to the world all be in like perfect harmony when we're.
1: Oh, they're always uh, in perfect <laughs> harmony, Raj. always right? Perfect like, harmony. Mastery. Right well, like, well, I'm,
0: I, I guess I'm. I'm I why? It's inspiring to know that that is a potentiality with presence like the more we are present to the difficulties the emotional experiences that are hard the more we l- allow ourselves to be messy inside of it the more we find our center like i think there's to me at least like there's this inspiring north star how do you lean into i guess creating the how do you, integrations a beautiful word that you've used a few times and i'd love for you to actually maybe unpack that word Like, what does it mean to be integrated or to integrate an emotional experience or to bring in integration? You know, how do you, you're using this and I think it's so beautiful how you're using it. So I'd love to unpack that.
1: Yeah. It's a really loaded word in my world in a lot of ways. One of the origins of the word, at least in my world is in the, it's use in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy where you're taking again, an edge state, a non-ordinary state, which can have a lot of meaning for people and then trying to help them bring that maybe spiritual experience into their like lived day to day of driving the carpool and paying taxes and, you know, shopping for Cheetos. So how do we pull these edge state experiences into our daily moments is one way of thinking about integration which I think is really relevant here. But I think the other way that I think about it too is like braiding together the parts of yourself. As I mentioned, bringing the body in with the mind, in with the soul or feeling center, and in with the relational self. Because it's easy to just over-index one part of you, but it's the wisdom of all of the parts of you that I think is often required to be the highest version of ourselves or certainly to be resilient when life throws you Bad Cheetos. Bad Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like Cheetos. I don't know why I'm thinking about Cheetos.
0: Do you feel like our, and this is more of a spiritual question, but our souls are creating opportunities for us to experience deeper and deeper levels of integration? Like, do you feel like there's a level of, um, yeah, I'm just curious to hear your perspectives on on that.
1: I think that's the soul's playground is to have these touch points with the other parts of us. So as I, I can think about this in two ways. As a recovering evangelical or somebody with a a very, um, had a very Christian upbringing that really segmented body and soul. Soul was your spiritual self, the self that could be connected to God. But body was distrust, like not to be trusted, especially the body of a woman was like, oof, we better, you know, don't cause someone to sin. Like you better like manage that. And so the, you know, this is this old idea coming from Descartes that we're segmented, that there's this spiritual high ground and the body is the like icky, mucky, like low ground. But I think it's much healthier to bring those parts of us back into Alignment or to integration, we also have that in psychology, right? It's all in your mind, it's all in your head. Think it through. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a thinking world that doesn't all, really has nothing to do with the body and doesn't even think about sort of the soul and the emotion. So I'm coming from these two disciplines. I have a master's in theology in addition to my training as a psychologist that have not done a great job historically of integration and now are on that journey. Now with books like The Body Keeps the Score or yeah. utilizing yoga in therapy or psychedelics in therapy, we're beginning to be like, oh, wait, we should probably put all these pieces together if we want to help people heal.
0: Yeah, there's, there seems to be a a resurgence or at least for me like I am starting to see the, the very clear benefits of whether it's true or not that's kind of over here but to me the most useful perspective in healing for myself has been being able to actually integrate both the mind the body and the soul and be able to see that the soul is a necessary like to be able to call it like whether it's mm-hmm. I call it my higher self or I call mm-hmm. it my the soul like whatever it is like being able to even identify with that aspect of myself has been massively helpful in me being able to make sense of difficult experiences and me being able to to grow to come back to myself to stay grounded i mean like there's been a a sense of comfort in being able to identify with those parts of me that i don't think i was able to before i really did like it's like i when I gave myself the permission to get out of my head and not call it woo or not Mm -hmm. like it's like when I allowed myself to actually truly connect with it, then it's everything started making sense, which is which I guess is the the point of integration and this conversation. And like we're having difficult experiences that are very real, losing people, experiencing the the loss of whatever it might be, love, work, anything. But there's this opportunity that I feel like our souls are in some way creating for us to remember that our souls are souls. cool <laughs>
1: yeah our souls are cool they're like the portal to the transcendent right to that which is outside of ourself and I had these like really clear moments where I felt like my soul was like mischievously playing with this integration theme and one was the week that my dad was dying it was sort of this very intense week where he sort of started hospice on a Sunday and he died on Saturday. So it was like one week of like, we're doing this thing. But during that week, I went to yoga in the morning and I went to yoga in the evening. And I had this very kind of big physical practice. And I would sit in yoga and I would really experience my own shoulders, which you probably can't see in the podcast, but I, I'm pretty muscular. And my shoulders came straight from my dad, like, same shape, same kind of way that the muscle wraps around the bone. And even though this was a very just physical characteristic, my soul was sort of twinkling all about these shoulders and how that knowing my dad was going to die and that he wouldn't have a physical presence in the world anymore. My shoulders are his shoulders. So I'm sort of carrying the shoulders forward that my cells came from his cells and that's biology but it's also soul it's also this sense of him being carried forward with with me in me in this transcendent way and it brought me a lot of comfort yeah. to just be like i have my dad's shoulders <laughs> and it it really felt very profound
0: yeah that's i experienced something similar when when my grandmother died the night before she passed i remember texting a few of my friends Actually, I haven't talked about this. On, I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but um, I remember the night my grandma died, COVID, she's in India. I'm here. I don't get to see her. I don't, it was a shock to even hear that she was in the hospital. And I texted a bunch of my friends and I was like, Hey, can you guys just send a prayer to my grandmother? She's, you know, she's not looking good. And one of my, girlfriends at the time she had texted me she's like hey you should do breath work for her and see if you can like Mm. connect to her and like move the energy because her lungs are filled with all this and me wanting to be the useful dude I am just like put on some gladiator music sat down and just started breathing hard and I remembered having this experience where I'd never done that much breath work before and I felt this massive wave of energy like hit my like my body and yeah. I was like hyperventilating because it was like, I didn't realize you can go into paralysis for like doing a lot of breath work. And I was just breathing yeah. and I called a friend of mine. She calmed me down and I passed out. And then the next morning I felt incredible peace mm. and found out two hours later that my grandma had passed. But I, the meaning I made from that was that she gave me her fear of death before she passed. And me connecting to her was her giving me that energy. That was her way of being like, like connecting okay. to me before she chose to go beyond the veil. And it brought me so much purpose. Yeah. When I went home to be with my parents, like I had this, this strength that I was carrying with me, being there for my dad and like, and it created, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the best. It created this beautiful way of grieving, like knowing that I could connect to her in that way.
1: That soul's transcendence, that across miles and time and space, like with your intention and with like the outreach of your insights towards her have this place of meeting. I mean, I, I think it's really beautiful and I, you said a little bit about like, yeah, the guy who wants to be useful. I mean, you are also, you did offer yourself up in service, like in service and support and bringing your own energy and opening up your energy to hold hers. It's a really beautiful move toward. It's a beautiful step in that direction.
0: I think even ugh, I'm hearing myself now in me calling myself that I think there was a little bit of judgment,
1: <laughs> hmm.
0: a little bit of judgment around, and I think this is part of my work too, believing in the magic fully of a lived experience like that. Like it was.
1: It's also entirely possible you would have just done breath work and it would have just kind of felt good. And then you'd gone to sleep and gotten up another day and learned that she'd passed. So the fact that like it happened that way, there's just some, ma- there's a little magic in there that you didn't maybe manifest but you didn't you didn't manufacture it like yeah you couldn't call it up again it's not in your control
0: yeah and well i guess back to the the original i guess the impetus of this like i i just i see the way that even in like your this conversation right now like i'm finding a lot of beauty in you allowing whatever is present to be present if magic is present allowing it to be present if like whatever if the noises in the mind are present allowing it to be present and that allowing is actually the the integration the gift it's 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 allowing and grieving almost go hand in hand uh, what role does the word allowing play for you i guess like when you hear that word what does it inspire well the
1: actually the original title of my book was hold on let go which is i i think for me around this dance of allowing and the reason that 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 dance of holding on letting go like allowing the movement to happen that hit me so deeply in these deaths because i would say things to my dad like as he was dying i would say it's okay to let go it's okay to let go like your work is done it's okay to let go And I think that was very profound. But with my brother, who was working through an addiction to alcohol and was struggling with depression, I always said, Hold on, just hold on, just hang in there. One more day, you got this. And this is nuanced. So I hope people carry it lightly or gently, but like I realized in retrospect, that I I wished I hadn't said that to my brother because the profound nature of being with my dad when he died was that we allowed it to happen. We weren't fighting it anymore. We were sort of claiming like, this is how this is going to go. And we all eased into it with my brother. It was a fight. It was like, no, going back to the hospital We're trying another round of treatment. We're doing this. We're doing that. And all of that, of course, was in service of saving his life. So I don't regret that at all. But that dynamic meant that he died alone and he died in violence and he didn't die with the assurance from me, I love you. I'm going to miss you. I accept that this is your course. Tricky language with true suicide, because it gets at all of this language around how much do we believe we have choice. But for me, I just had this real reckoning with, I'm just not that powerful. You know, I told my brother to hold on and I couldn't undo his death. I didn't make my dad die by saying, let go. Like none of those things are very powerful. And so the only option that I have as a heart forward human is to show up in love to people in their journey, realizing that, my only option is to allow, to be honest, because I fought super hard for a different outcome for my brother and the fighting didn't really do anything except drive distance between us.
0: Gosh, like, I'm curious to hear, you know, what is your relationship to death now? Like, how do you, or oh, yeah, I'm just gonna stop there. What is your relationship to it at this moment?
1: I still think I hold it with some fear and dread, mostly because I really miss them. (laughs) And I think about, you know, the death of people I love. And I have that same like longing that comes with death. You know, I think about the death of my, my husband, my partner, the emptiness that that leaves in my life. So if I'm self-centered around it, it's like, well, that's going to suck for me. There's a beautiful poem, though, by Mary Oliver. It's an excerpt from, I think it's The White Owl Flew Over the Fields or something like that. But she says, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it's something like, what if death isn't darkness after all, but so much lightness that it overwhelms our eyes from seeing it? And so we close them. And it carries us to a river that is pure light. And then we enter the river and it washes us from our bones. Mm. And so this picture of death as light, as soft, as inviting, I hope it's like that. That's what I hope it was for my dad and my brother, a sense of ease and of finishing and of relaxing in. To this other state.
0: For individuals that might have a hard time, you know, being at this space, like that's like if you had to give a message to yourself when you were asking your brother to hold on, like what would be the advice, the perspective, the love that you would share with that that younger Sherry?
1: I received a really special gift. And the gift that I received is that the last words that I ever said to my brother on this side of whatever this is, was, I love you. And oh my God, like, I'm so grateful that that was what it was. It wasn't hold on. It wasn't, Hey, call me. It wasn't anything. It was just, I love you. And Anyone who's in one of these stories, because we all get in these stories sometimes, right? We all have people that we love that are battling addiction or depression or feeling suicidal, or maybe we are ourselves. There's no substitute for a good I love you. I think that's, that's still the most powerful force on the planet. If I could say that without sounding super cheesy, <laughs> but
0: cheese ball away, um, cheese ball away, yeah. <laughs> please.
1: We're, we're going there. Whoo. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no substitute for a good, I love you. And I, I dish those out a lot now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm
1: glad I dished that out to my brother. That's, that's all I could offer him.
0: Oh, I am so, you're just so lovely. I, I mean, it's funny. We started this conversation before we hit the record button about how that's literally what you were saying at the event we were at. Like, literally, I love you to so many people. Like, it's just, you're who you are. Like, it's. Beautiful... It's actually not
1: who I used to be, though. Like, I'm not that hippie. Like, I mean, I, I'm a scientist. I trained at Yale University School of Medicine. Like, I'm a really, like, heady intellectual person. And then and then I'm not anymore. Like, yeah, now you're I, just yeah. a big
0: pile of mush. No, I'm not. Now it's you're just true. a I'm big just <laughs> pile of mush.
1: Mushy. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. But I feel, I do feel it from my toes. Like, uh, yeah, I feel it from my toes all the way through. You know, I
0: think, I don't know if I heard you say this in a in a quote somewhere, but I think you talked about the little moments of love that pulled you out of the darkness when you were going through your grieving process. What do you refer to when you say little moments of love to facilitate or help somebody grieve? Like when you, when you think about that, like, what does that like?
1: Oh, there's so many. I was in the hospital with my brother. Things were not good. He was not doing well. A nurse just put her hand on my shoulder. She didn't even say anything. She just put her hand on my shoulder. And it was really helpful. Another moment I was trying to, I forget where I was trying. I was trying to maybe fly back to California where my dad lived. Flight was canceled. It was a whole like shit show. This Delta ticket agent went onto the plane and found my baggage and brought it out like manually, physically. I watched him walk down. So that he could give it back to me so I could take a different flight, which like they're not supposed to do. They never do that. I had this super, super low moment. I pretty much had like half a bottle of whiskey. I was a total mess. I called this woman named Melissa, who I went to my uh, fellowship with when I was doing my doctoral training. And she's not like a best friend, not an everyday friend at all. But I was... She's had a lot of grief. So she's just the person I wanted to talk to. She answered the phone, which is in and of itself, like its own little miracle. Like she's a professor. She's got all these kids. She's busy. She answered the phone when I needed her. And she just sort of listened to me, diatribe on whatever I was talking about. And I felt loved. So when I look back on all of these stories, it's just these little moments when someone was helpful, someone was kind, someone answered the phone. There wasn't some big healing moment of like, ooh, I feel better now. But there were all of these traces of love throughout my life for years that carried me through. And I think that's present for almost all of us, right? Like now that I look for those little sparkles of love, I see them everywhere.
0: I love that. Now that you look for those sparkles of love, I guess, how do you, Let's say I'm just speaking as or speaking to someone who might be in this situation who f- may find it difficult to actually do that. How do you inspire that that shift and in what way can that be integrated into a into a grieving process or even just a way of being because it is a way of being to look for love or to choose to see the beauty. And it's also really easy to forget that you can do that or that forget that you're allowed to do that or get into the story of, oh, I'm supposed to be grieving. I'm supposed to be sad. I'm not allowed to look for things. And and then there's the guilt associated in being happy and joy. You know, so how do you speak to that?
1: the book is called Touching Two Worlds because of that, because of the permission to be in grief and in the shadowy dark places, and also to be in joy and be in creativity and be in love and be in gratitude. So I, I think if anyone is in that scenario, like there is permission to have the full range of experience. It doesn't diminish your grief. It doesn't diminish the love that you had for the person or the experience that you lost. You can be fluid in both experiences at at one time. And once I let myself be comfortable with that, with like being really joyful and also being in grief, that created a lot more ease for me.
0: Well, I'd love to even speak to the creativity because that's something you are so wonderful at I don't know. I just love how you, we were talking about this earlier about how you integrate so many different aspects of your life and how you are creating through this and allowing this to fuel your creations. Can you, can you speak to that even how leaning into these experiences has opened up more for you?
1: Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about integration. And part of my integration with grief was to really do a deep dive into my life as an aerialist, which is like circus arts. So I wasn't doing a ton of that before this grief happened, but as my dad got sick and as all of these painful things were happening to me, I really like needed to be in my body and to be doing things that absorbed my brain. So I wasn't thinking all the time about all the sad things. So I started training in circus arts and like really loved it. But it became this mechanism for creativity that really kind of um opened me up. So much so that uh I had a really funny conversation with my book publisher, who's like, okay, you know, we're getting close to launch. You're launching your book. Like, what are you thinking? And I was like, I'm gonna write a circus.
0: <laughs> and they were like, <laughs>
1: You realize that your book is about grief and suicide, right? And I was like, it'll be great. Best circus ever. So actually, I did. I partnered with my coach, Lynn, who also has lost a brother to suicide. And we created a beautiful original circus that follows the narrative of the book. Totally bizarre but I like the thing that I've done in my life that I'm most proud of because it pulls together so many parts of me and things that I love and creates beauty out of a lot of pain.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, like even the the songs that touch me the most are the ones that I can feel. Right. It's like the ones where you can feel them feeling and it's captured in this, beautiful arc so that it inspires those frequencies in yourself. And I think that's how I, at least I see this and, and what you're experiencing or at least what you're sharing. It's this beautiful, it's a beautiful way to channel grief into beauty into into just this. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Again, I would never rush someone to this because it comes in its own time. It's not like the outcome to chase, but I think a lot of folk who find a sense of resilience, it is because they find a way to make beauty from the pieces, whether it's like repairing the fractured vase with gold lining, whether it's poetry that tells an emotional, beautiful story, there's all kinds of ways that people have throughout the history of humanity used art and dance and expression to tell their painful stories in a way that inspires, educates, illuminates, but in a way that's beautiful. For anyone who
0: might be in a, in an experience that's bringing up a lot for them, but then also has the physical realities of being alive and having jobs and like, how do you balance the healing journey and like being a responsible adult? Like, what does that integration look like? I guess in practice, because I I don't know if all, at least I know for myself, not
1: everybody can just join the circus. (laughs) Not everybody
0: can just step away from life to process and heal and have that space.
1: Oh, most people can't.
0: So how do you teach, or if you had a message for someone in that role, like how would you teach or, um, yeah, how would you teach the, the grieving process to still be something that serves while, you know, not derailing the responsibilities of life?
1: And that, I mean, that's certainly my experience as well as, you know, my kids were eight and 12 when these things happened. like I couldn't peace out. Like they, they Insist on being fed, right? Clothes need to be washed. Life needs to to keep moving. I think that's its own invitation to motion, is to be in your body and be in movement. So when you're biking to work or feeding your kids or walking the dog, like that's you practicing your aliveness, which is an important part of grief right? The aliveness of your body and the motion of your life is in many ways, this reassurance that is stands in contrast to grief. For really busy people, this is just a tactic I recommend that that people make an appointment with grief. Maybe that's on a Saturday morning where there's time to sit in stillness. Maybe it's look at pictures of somebody you've lost. Maybe it's Read poetry, maybe it's go for a walk, be in nature, but to create space in your life. It doesn't have to be all the time. You don't have to take six weeks off, but to create a little space and openness to honor this transformation that's happening that you've experienced in edge state moment. And that necessitates some shifting. So, four hours on a Saturday, one hour on a Saturday, a 10 minute walk. There's all kinds of spaces that we can go into deeper work just by shifting our attention.
0: You're awesome. I am so, I I totally want to like record a whole new podcast on aliveness with you because that was the most fun description of, in the contrast to, you know, with the grieving and the death, but then in that there's this aliveness. How do you describe or like, what, what does aliveness feel like to you? In your experience of it, like I'd love to hear your own poetry around the word aliveness
1: the The picture that's coming to me when you ask me that is an image of me like laying on my bed with one of my kids with like their head on my chest where they can feel my heartbeat and I can feel the warmth of their body, and there's this very clear sense that these are two living beings like alive together, in a dance together. So I think aliveness feels very embodied. It's about breath and heartbeat, but it's also about a sense of connection, maybe transcendence, maybe that's the soul stuff we're talking about. Because a beating heart and a breathing set of lungs is not quite what I mean. It's a little bit more like life force. Mm -hmm.
0: Even the idea of feeling your Your tears fully like crying fully there's an aliveness to that there's an aliveness yeah there's sensation there's um there's a vibrancy to the release of emotional energy and the allowing of emotional energy to be what it is in the moment it's almost like it's i mean even after like I tell my girlfriend this all the time, like I, I hate seeing her cry. But after she cries, she has the most beautiful eyes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like her eyes there's are
1: catharsis. And yeah, you're all sparkly.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's like this it, makeup everywhere, but just full of life. Like I, I can I can see it and feel it. And there's a beauty to there's a beauty to that sadness the same way there's a beauty to bliss or clarity or those moments of awe. Like they are all these like, points of aliveness in some way where it's like the soul is expressing itself through this physical body. And it feel, it's like a feeling. It's not just that you're seeing the tears. It's like you're feeling them.
1: I think, too, sometimes our first signal of aliveness is a cry right? A newborn baby, like you're you're kind of mopping up the mess. Like it's all chaotic. And then you hear that (laughs) cry and it's like, Ooh, we got a live one. So crying is its own like really great signal of aliveness. I think I know in our Western culture, not necessarily super comfortable with that, but like you're alluding to with your girlfriend, there's this, this, core essential right at the base of our humanity kind of experience that comes with a good cry
0: why are you proud of your book
1: Mm. well it's my best work it really is um each of the words were chosen carefully and that it tells this story in a really open vulnerable way. I didn't hold a lot back and I've written other books. I've written a lot in my life and much of my writing has really come from my brain and I've got a good brain. So I don't I don't judge that. It's okay. But this book is really this is a heart project and my brain was in service to my heart in just providing the right words. But um so it's scary to put that much of myself on the page and like offer it to everyone I know. <laughs> Woo. But it's also it's something that I think is beautiful.
0: Yeah. Feels liberating. I'm certainly just a like I just you're so lovely. <laughs> like
1: Friends, fresh. I, I, <laughs> we were supposed to meet. I know.
0: The universe
1: like, ordained it. It was just
0: so good. <laughs> I, I just I just remember texting you the morning when I got your email. I was like, no fucking way. This can't be Sherry. Like, And then I just lost it because it was so beautiful to uh, – it is beautiful to continue getting to know you and to to witness you. Truly, actually, you're – I said this when we first started the conversation, but I can feel your heart. And I think, and I don't know if this is how you always were or your experiences in life brought this out of you or this book pulled forth this embodied sense of aliveness, truly actually presence. I can feel your, your, your love and your, and your, you're just such a, I could feel your kindness in just the way you are. And it's, Awesome. It's lovely. And I'm so glad that I get to experience you as you are.
1: Yeah. Feels beautiful to be seen. I will take that. Feels beautiful to be seen. Thank you.
0: You're so welcome. So, the book is available. Where, when, how do people get their hands on it?
1: It is in all the places. It's in your neighborhood bookstore, your independent bookstore. Don't forget about those guys. It's also on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the places. And it's available. You can order it now. It it ships on July 26th. So it's uh, out in the world. It's official. And there's an audio book, which I actually read. And I think my friends are going to play a drinking game of like, is Sherry crying? Like, (laughs) like, is she crying or is she not crying? But it is read with a lot of heart and intimacy as well. So if you're an audio person, then that's a choice. Well,
0: if you're the one narrating it, Fuck yeah, I'm an audio person. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I could be an audio person for some people and not for others, but if you're narrating it and if it's anything like the conversation I just had with you, then it's going to be like a full-blown conversation. But I'm not going to be talking. I'm just going to be listening. But any case
1: it's a a one-way conversation it's a one-way
0: conversation (laughs) that I'm really excited to have so can't wait to pick it up touching two worlds anybody listening we will make all of those available in the show notes sherry I do have one last question for you okay in the midst of everything you're doing everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going how do you stay grounded
1: Sometimes I just lay on the ground and feel it underneath me. That's my very not profound answer, but it's very true.
0: I mean, I feel like there's levels of profundity in that, that you're not really giving yourself credit for.
1: Because I have so many like meetings all day and then between meetings, I just like lay on the ground and I'm like, okay, good. I can just be grounded.
0: Mm, I love this. Well, sometimes the most profound answers are the ones that are simplest. So Sherry, again, thank you so much for just being I'm so grateful that we got to do this.
1: Yeah. What a beautiful conversation. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh-huh. Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host Raj. This is your new friend, Sherry. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon.